Welcome to Evolution of AI with Reese Jones. Dive deep into the intricate world of artificial intelligence, exploring its origins, its impact on our culture, and its future trajectory. Let's get started. Some of you may remember the AI Howl from the movie 2001, which was made in the 60s. Howl was an AI and famously said to Dave, the human, that he refused to do something. This is a tipping point in the movie and concept of an AI developing free will and objecting to what a human is asking for and might want to do. For 50 years, essentially, there's been fear of AI doing something wrong. And the fears are not unfounded. And last month, a group recommended to pause development on AI because they're afraid that it's developing to be dangerous and they wanted to pause it six months, and which seems like a reasonable proposal. But the concept of whether or not everybody who's working on AI would stop work and every government would support this is a little bit unrealistic. And so the, this group has a number of very notable people, including Elon Musk and several important computer scientists who've been working on AI for a long time, as well as computer and science philosophers like Martin Rees or George Church. And I'm not sure they all entirely expected that when they signed up to be advisors to the Future of Life Institute, that they would be recommending pausing AI, but who they are. And so the, one of the problems with this is if it becomes government policy to outlaw AI, then of course, uh, only outlaws would have AI. And that's also not very realistic. And so the, there's various problems with the way to express caution about AI that need to be held in balance, especially if we look at history, which we will a little bit. And so the, where is AI coming from? It's coming from humans, and it's a tool developed by humans. And the population of humans has been increasing a lot in, the, in an exponential way in the last 200 years. And it appears to be starting to stop or to become an S-curve, like most things in biology. And as, as, as recently as 10 years ago, people thought the, there was a population explosion that was not going to stop or slow down. And, and that was a catastrophic result for the earth. But the, like most things in biology, they are exponential for a while, but then they flatten out. And especially in these recent 2000 years, but the last 200 years in particular, the industrial revolution and the development of tools that are becoming smarter and smarter. And AI is one of those tools. And the tools that humans invent co-evolve with humans. So just as humans are evolving and inventing tools and improving them, the tools themselves are evolving almost independently. And this is improving on an exponential basis, the capabilities of the tools. And in the case of computers, uh, Ray Kurzweil has noticed that the price performance of computation has been increasing in an exponential way. So this is a logarithmic graph where the, the Y scale is on a logarithmic scale, meaning doubling or a 10X scale. And so this curve would be similar to the human population if it were on a linear scale, but it, here it's exponential. And it's not just recently that this has been happening. It's been happening for a long time. 
And uh, here from Steve Jervison is the different computers that have been also on a logarithmic scale and the performance of the computers over the last 120 years. And the computers are steadily increasing in performance across wars, across recessions, across mechanism types like modern computers are integrated circuits, transistors, but before they were vacuum tubes and relays and even punch cards and mechanical computers. And this improvement curve is continues to, to advance regardless of what humans are doing. So if there's a recession or a war, it doesn't slow down the improvement of the technology. And in AI in particular, the large language models like ChatGTP, which is in the news these days, are getting improving in terms of scale also in a almost a super exponential because this is an exponential graph, but you'll notice it's not a straight line. It's curving upward also. And so the scale of the large language model data sets that are being processed by the computers is going up extremely fast, doubling every few months, really, instead of every year or two. And so this is consuming a lot of energy and increasing the power of the AIs to process effectively all human language, therefore human knowledge. And so this is useful, but it also creates fear that what's going to happen if this continues on. And so the fears are arising around what AI is going to do for humanity. And there's obvious benefits, but it also can cause harm. And so this is popular in the news recently as well. And one of the fears as it manifests with the evolution of humans is that AIs become increasingly powerful as a tool, becoming more powerful than humans. And the fear is basically that AIs would enslave humans and take over life on this planet. And obviously people are afraid of that, not without reason. But this is the crux of the fear of the advancing technology. And so the catastrophizing and fear has is, is been a human thing to do for a long time. And I'll go through a few examples. So the, many religions have a concept of the end of times or the end of days or the apocalypse or the rapture. Or if you notice in most cities, the good people are lifted up into the sky but in Las Vegas, there's only one. And so there's other kinds of catastrophes that are real. Asteroids that wiped out the dinosaurs do happen on a recurring basis. And it's not until recently that anybody knew why or how these happen or that they might be preventable. And if the dinosaurs had been fearful of this, they would have done something about it, but they didn't. And therefore, they had their own end of times. There's other long-scale trends, like the fears around the climate changing. Of course, climates change on all planets, and it's changing here. And whether that's caused by nature or by humans, it's still something that will affect life on this planet, and with good reason then to be wary about it and prepare for it. And technologies, human tools, have been the subject of fear campaigns for hundreds of years, an example that some people have heard of called the Luddites, which are the people who in the 19th century were afraid that the machines that wove fabrics 
would take away the jobs of humans. And so there was a movement to destroy the machines before they, they did that. And obviously there wouldn't be fast fashion and other things of that nature if the machines had been destroyed by that movement. When electricity was first being deployed in cities, people were afraid of it because it could kill you if you touched the wires the wrong way. And there were actually movements to, to pause or stop electricity because it was a danger to society. And elevators needed a human operator before they became self-driving, fully autonomous. And there was a fear that if you got in the elevator without a human driver, you would come to a bad end. And so it, it took a long time before people got trusting enough in the autonomous capabilities of elevators that, that they would ride them without an operator. Cars, the same when cars or horseless carriages were first introduced, laws were passed in some countries that the car was not allowed to go faster than a running human who was required by law to run in front of the car and the car couldn't go faster than that. And the human had to carry a red flag to warn the pedestrians that a car was coming. And, and so these kind of fears seems, and regulations seem crazy now, but th this is real. And in modern times, there are some parts of society that reject the technology at a certain stage. And so the Amish are an example who reject technology more or less after the 19th century and want to live with, without it to a large extent. And so it's like a speciation in human culture where some of the people adopt or embrace the new technologies and others are conservative of the old ways and resist the new technology and try and live without them feeling life was better then. In, in the 80s and 90s, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, who was a math professor at Berkeley, who has a very exotic history, he had a fear that the development of technologies, especially computers and high-tech things, would end humanity. And his thought-out theory was written out in the Unabomber Manifesto. And, and before that was published, which wouldn't have been easy to publish it if he hadn't done what he did, he would send anonymous mail bombs to scientists working in universities and at corporations to basically blow them up in their offices and kill them because they were working on biotech or they were working on computer science or they were working on something that he considered high tech that was leading to the end of humanity. So he wanted to scare people working on new technologies away from doing that. And he wrote a manifesto, the Unabomber Manifesto, that eventually the New York Times agreed to publish the whole thing in the newspaper so everybody could read about his well-considered, thought-out fears about how technology is going to end humanity. And he might be right, but his approach wasn't received. And <laughs> um, in, in 2000, Bill Joy, who was the chief scientist of Sun Microsystems, who developed Java and other important things, he wrote an article called, about what he called gray goo, which is nanotechnologies that were out of our control, which are microscopic robots that would turn into a gray goo that would take over humanity and 
and then humanity. And, and his point was these things can independently evolve the technologies into something that might end humanity. And these are also possibilities. So recently, Eliezer Yudowski is a computer scientist, kind of philosopher, theorist who works for an organization called MIRI, which is the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, which is a nonprofit that stokes the fears about AI and how AI is dangerous and how, to, how it might kill us all and how to be careful about that. And the Miri Institute is related to the Future of Life Institute. And so there's a whole camp, like a religious movement, that is the conservative fear approach to technology and AI. And they're well-funded and organized, include Elon Musk, who's on the one side warning everybody about the dangers of AI, while at the same time pursuing it aggressively in a capitalist way. And so one of the fears about AI is taking away people's jobs and uh, whether that's writers or artists or accountants or lawyers. And the, the thing is, e even today, millions of people every day, their job daily is to carry water. And so they walk from their village down to the source of water and carry it in a bucket. And, and that's their work. That's their career job. And, and so it, if you gave these people plumbing, it would take away their job. And few people would say plumbing is bad and so forth. But these are the kind of fears of the old way being replaced by a newer, better way. And so people approach it either saying, great, let's put in plumbing or no, let's destroy the plumbing and have everybody carry water and chop wood and carry water kind of way. And so one of the things, if labor type jobs or the monthly hourly income type jobs are replaced by AIs and computers. The question is, what will people do? And tied in with the discussion about AI is that the, in, to have the concept of universal basic income, which is the nanny state government gives a monthly income to everybody for free. And the fear of that is that people got free money. They would become alcoholics and addicts and wouldn't be productive. And so the concept of how will people live when a lot of the basic needs are done by plumbing or technology is a reasonable fear. And so the solution to that fear is that the government pays them, basically. And so some of these fears are well-founded, like the Titanic or the Hindenburg. Is there new technologies at the time? And the technical optimist says, what could go wrong with the Titanic and, or the Hindenburg? And obviously bad things happen. So it's not unreasonable to be cautious about new technologies, but it doesn't mean that they should be banned either. And so with AI, there's one of the dangers is weaponized AIs, where if you add weapons or the ability to kill humans or other AIs to an AI, just by basic game theory, the strategy, the only surviving strategy is to shoot first to kill. Don't even ask questions. And so the problem is that once you automate an intelligence with weapons, some of them will reasonably rash, rational, rationalize that, well, the only way to survive is to shoot first to kill, because otherwise somebody playing that strategy will kill you. And so 
it becomes a very hair trigger dangerous thing if once you set it free. As what these think, this is a transformational time for society and chat GTP, the T stands for transformation, which is a kind of metamorphosis of changing something from the old way into a new way. And an example of that from nature is, for example, a caterpillar metamorphizing into a butterfly. And most people like caterpillars and I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with them. But the it, once it changes into a butterfly, it's more beautiful and it can fly. And so this transition is something that may be happening to life, a carbon-based life, where we're in a metamorphosis or a transformation from one form into another form. It doesn't mean caterpillars will go away, but it does mean that something else is evolving that has capabilities that, that we don't. And just as caterpillars turn into butterflies, life can turn from carbon-based to electronic and have capabilities like traveling at the speed of light that humans can't do now. And from a practical point of view, books are something that are honored as the keepers of all knowledge of humans. And it's a 500-year-old technology that maybe isn't the best way to communicate ideas and what a book is ultimately is it's an idea and the idea can be packaged in dead trees and put in physical stores, or it can be an idea that's expressed not just in Wikipedia, but as an AI on the internet where the current form that the people like are called chatbots. And even the founders of Google back around 2000 said that the future of search is to have a conversation with somebody you trust. And so if you are searching for ideas to be able to have a conversation with the with someone you trust in a language and a format that works for you, that the ideas in a book or in many books can be hosted in an AI and you can have the AI read you the book cover to cover or you can ask it questions about what's in the book, or could you summarize this book before you take nine hours of my time to explain it to me? And so that's just a better format to express and deliver ideas in. And it can be personalized to five-year-olds in Uganda or academics in Oxford or whatever format the receiver wants. And the questions can be organized how the receiver wants the information to, to come in. And so the it's not obvious now, but AIs are a very good replacement or transformation of books or ideas in general. And just as you can transform from one biological form to another, like the caterpillar to butterfly, you can also transform information, which is ideas, from atoms into bits. And this may be evolving going on where information in biology has been stored as atoms in DNA and chemistry and so forth. And increasingly, what defines a person is more information stored in their phone and less importantly, what is their biochemistry. And so we may be in a transformation of going from atoms to bits. 
And basically, AI is your friend and you should embrace it. Well. So that this is intended to be a bit provocative to stimulate arguments or questions or thoughts. Thank you. Nothing that struck me, which is less of a question and more just an observation, is that when you were speaking about the books and how you can have someone explain a book to you, and I was just thinking, oh, like, why do I read books? And the thing that struck me was, if you can do everything so easily now, then it really has you wonder, what is the point of what I'm doing? Like, why am I doing this? Is it just to make money? Why, why do, if ChatGBT can do it, what is the it that it's, that I'm doing it for? This is a purpose of life question. Why is there life at all? And then what's my role in life and that people are not standalone individuals. People are part of a colony or like a beehive and the individual bee has its own experience, but it's part of a beehive and it wouldn't survive without the beehive. And so humans and society are just the same way and that a human wouldn't survive very long and they certainly wouldn't breed if they were all alone. And so it's something that we're part of a larger system, of a larger organism, of a species, and of a culture within that species. So our role is to participate as a good citizen of that community. And the people who diverge from that get in trouble and the community will reject them. So put them in prison or kill them. And so the main force of the purpose of life is being part of as opposed to an adversary of. And then this is true of, of deer and wolves and bees and termites and so forth. Our consciousness develops an ego as we reach puberty, and then it keeps that ego until our sort of breeding time is done. But as a child or elderly, it's more important to be part of than separate from. Being part of is being connected to and cooperating with the other members of our tribe or society. Some of these tools are designed to facilitate that cooperation, like taming fire to do cooking, allowed people to stay warm and pre-digest their food, which allowed different choices of food that, and so some of the people were hunting the prey and others were gathering the sticks to make the fire. And then they would get back together and cook it and consume it. And there's an interesting concept that without refrigeration, it, when you kill an animal to eat the animal meat, humans can't really do that without fire to cook it because they can't digest raw meat very easily. And without storage or refrigeration, the safest place to keep fresh food is in the bellies of your tribe. So there's more food than one individual can eat. And if you cook it and they can digest it, then the, the most efficient place for that cooked food is in the people that might be your friends or might be your distant relatives and not in a refrigerator in a vault. And so the purpose of life is to be part of that community.
and laws are constructed to keep people in or out, depending on their cooperation. If that, I was curious, what do you think AI will open up for us as a society, like in the two decade time period? Freedom and, and access to knowledge. And like plumbing, it'll make things easier. Thank you for uh, joining us on Evolution of uh, I with Reese Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Stay connected as we continue to explore the fascinating world of AI. Until next time, keep questioning, keep exploring.